Right, good morning, Redemption. Here's what I know about every person in this room here this morning. I know that all of us long for purpose. And we have one response to what God has called us to or another. One of the responses that we could have is that we shrink back from the purpose that God is calling us to. And the reason that many of us do that is because of a sense of inadequacy or a sense of fear. And the other response is to say, no thank you to God's purpose for our life and to try to live for a different purpose, whether that be our own pleasure, our own achievement, or some relationship, or some job. We make something else an idol and try to let it hold the purpose of our life. And so Jesus is going to both comfort and confront us in this passage, as he often does, by telling us that he has equipped us for the ultimate mission. See, Jesus has put his spirit in us in order that we wouldn't shrink back in fear and that we would run toward the right kingdom priorities with our life. And he gives it to us real straight in this passage. The first thing that he warns us about is the cost of the mission. Okay, look with me again at verses 1 through 6 in John chapter 16. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now Jesus is very explicit here. He is saying that he is saying to his disciples, I'm saying these things to you to keep you from falling away. And then he is warning them about what is to come. See, Jesus, unbeknownst to his disciples, is on the verge of dying on the cross. He is about to, which is unthinkable to them, be turned over to the religious leaders, and they are about to kill him. And he is telling his disciples that a similar fate awaits some of them. He's saying they're going to get kicked out of synagogues, which would be like local churches in their day, and to make matters worse, their religious leaders are going to turn on them and in some cases are going to kill them. And then, to make matters even worse, they are going to think in killing them that they are offering service to God. They're going to consider that worship. So in today's vernacular, here's what Jesus is saying. Let's just bring this, you know, down to our level. He's saying, here's how bad it's going to get. 
your Sunday school teacher is going to try to kill you. And they're going to think that in trying to kill you, they're doing a good thing. Now, what is the psychology behind what these religious leaders are going to do to the disciples? Why do they consider that service to God? It's because they had sort of a Jewish nationalism. So Rome was this occupying government power, and the Jews were in the minority. And so they saw anything that was a threat to Judaism as siding with Rome. And so the disciples preaching Jesus as the Messiah would threaten their monetary you know, stability. It would threaten uh, their standing in society. And so they saw that as such a threat that anything that opposed them was siding with the opposition. In other words, it was a very polarized society. It's similar to our day in a sense, in the sense that you've got in, in politics these two very polarized groups. And as Christians, we stand in this place where if we say one thing, we'll be seen as anti-Democrats. And if we stand in another place, we'll be seen as anti-Republican. And it may be that as Christians, we're just standing on the sure foundation of God's word, but we're seen as in opposition to this group or that group because we're standing up for what God's word says. And so Jesus is saying that to stand with Jesus will potentially cost you your reputation. It will potentially cost you your standing in society. And it may even cost you your life. And so all of us as Christians need to hear this because Jesus says in another place that if you're going to build a tower, before you build a tower, you count the cost of that tower so you don't run out of money. And in a similar way, we need to count the cost of what following Christ will be like so that when that cost comes our way, we don't fall away. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a little bit of a history buff. I love like history books, history documentaries, things like that. And recently I rewatched Ken Burns' series on the Civil War. PBS, really great, awesome. But one of the things that I was reminded of in that was the the reality that these commanders or these soldiers had to count the cost before they would go into battle. And there's this one Civil War commander that I just can't stand. His name's George McClellan. And part of the reason I can't stand George McClellan is because whenever there was an important Civil War battle, what would happen is McClellan would not fight. He would refuse to fight. And so there were a number of opportunities during the Civil War where he could have ended the Civil War literally years before. But because of his unwillingness to fight, the battle continued on. So eventually, Abraham Lincoln removes George McClellan and puts this guy named Ulysses S. Grant in charge of the army. Here was the criticism of Grant. He was bloodthirsty. Do you know why that was the criticism of him? 
Because he was willing to fight. Why was he willing to fight? Because he had counted the cost beforehand. So he would sit on his horse, bullets would be flying all around him, and he would be steady as can be. Why? Because he knew that this war might cost him his life. He had counted that cost beforehand, and so he soldiered on. Do you have a backup plan in your walk with Jesus? Are you like, okay, if things get this bad or this happens, then I'll walk away. Then I'll fall away. Then I won't be able to trust God anymore. Or have you counted the cost? Have you really taken words like this from Jesus seriously? Here's what I think he's doing in this passage. I think he's telling the disciples the worst thing that's going to happen to any of them. Because see, all of them are not killed by religious leaders. There's several of them are. But John, for example, who's writing this gospel, lived to a ripe old age. But what he's telling them is the worst thing that could happen so that they count the cost of it beforehand so that they don't take another step in following him until they have this realization that it could cost them everything. So that's the cost of the mission. It might cost you your life. But thankfully, Jesus is not saying, okay, good luck. Go get it. Go fight the battle. Go soldier on for Jesus in your own strength. He tells us explicitly in this passage that there's help for the mission. Look with me at verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, you may be familiar with this passage where Jesus says that it's to our advantage that he goes away because he will send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us. And maybe you've received comfort from the passage before. But I want you to understand something about this passage. Jesus is not primarily aiming at our comfort in this passage. He's aiming at our courage. Because he doesn't say, listen, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. Here's the advantage that it's going to bring you. He's going to give you peace inside and a psychological feeling that everything's going to be all right. He says, no, it's to your advantage that I go away. I give you the helper, the Holy Spirit, because he is going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So here's what he's saying. Okay, it's possible that a religious leader in your life or somebody turns on you and persecutes you and makes your life miserable, even to the point of death. But here's what's going to happen to the mission of Jesus in and through you if you will not hightail it and run, but you will go forward in sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. 
the Holy Spirit will be with you and the mission will be accomplished through you even in the face of deep persecution and people turning on you. So it's not on you to further the mission in the sense of changing the hearts of the people that you interact with. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. Your job is to love them and to share the good news of the gospel with them and to display that good news through your life. And the Holy Spirit will do the work of convicting the people around you concerning three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. So sin is the reality that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, that we have missed the mark, that we have not done what God has required us to do, and we have left undone things that he has asked us to do. We have not lived holy, upright, and godly lives. And so the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of that reality. People might even say that they don't believe that sin is a thing, that they don't believe that God is real. Don't believe them for one second. Everybody knows. Because the Holy Spirit's here, he's in charge, and he is convicting people. And what people will do is they will deny that with their mouth to try to cover for their heart because they're feeling the pressure from the Holy Spirit. Because that's why he came to the world. He also came to convict the world concerning righteousness. That is righteous living. See, a righteous life is not a self-righteous life, but it is a life that displays the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It is a life that is magnetic, that people are drawn to. So the Holy Spirit comes, lives inside of us, and lives through us, and shows people that we've got something that they don't have. And it is both something that will draw people to us, but also push people away from us because they will see that they are on a dead-end street. And so, this reality will begin to come home to the people in our lives. Judgment is coming. Now, Jesus says here, the ruler of this world is judged. See, on the cross, Jesus didn't just defeat sin and death. He also defeated the ruler of this world, who is Satan. And so Satan's kingdom, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, has come to an end. And his way of dealing in the world, that is, in selfishness and greed and things like this, is also coming to an end. So that Everyone who follows the desires of Satan to kind of make a name for themselves, glorify themselves, put a spotlight on themselves, is of the devil and will be judged like the devil, thrown into a lake filled with fire. Now, that's really hard to talk to people about. But it's not your job to convince people that that's true. It's your job to say that that's true and allow the Holy Spirit to direct them and convict them. Now, I think all of us who have been walking with Jesus 
for some time and have been bold in sharing the gospel with people have experienced this strange reality of the Holy Spirit doing something in a room that we did not expect. I remember having such an experience when I was a freshman in college. I'd been walking with Jesus for a while, but a couple of my friends who previously didn't know Jesus had just come to know Jesus. Like in such a way, they still had smoke and alcohol on their breath. Not literally, but you know, it was like two weekends ago. And so they were still getting the texts from their group of friends, inviting them to go to this or that party. And so we were all hanging out one night, probably having Bible study or something like that. They got a text like, hey, parties tonight at this place. Well, I didn't get those texts because I was walking with Jesus and they knew I wouldn't come. So they get the, they get the text and we're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to the party and we're going to share Jesus with as many people as we can at this party. Okay? So I'll never forget walking into this room and it's like the music's bumping and everybody's got, you know, their can of whatever. And we walk into the room and it was like the room just went, what? They're here? The whole room just kind of stopped. And I remember one of my buddies is sitting at this table playing cards with some people and he sees me walk over and he takes his beer and slides it behind and I just said to him, I'm like, hey, what's that? And, you know, I was kind of joking with him and, and all that. And all of us are around the room. There are four or five of us. We're all around the room just sharing Jesus with different people in the room. And you could just see, like, this ain't fun anymore. This whole room just changed. And we all left, like, a couple hours later. And I remember we're just rejoicing and laughing, like, we can't take credit for that. The Holy Spirit just came into the room and a party just turned into a place of conviction. That's what the Spirit of God does. He comes, he shines the light into dark places. He exposes that everyone there is on a dead-end street. That the only place of ultimate purpose and ultimate joy is found in Jesus and that those things lead to death. See, when Jesus was on the earth, wherever he went, that happened. It's to our advantage that he went away because now that the Holy Spirit lives in us, wherever any of us go, that happens. As we shine the light of Christ, as we are courageous and ask that the Holy Spirit would activate his power in and through us so that we would live the kind of lives that some people are drawn to and some people hate. Okay, why would we live that kind of life? Why would we expose ourselves to that kind of living? Why would we live with that kind of purpose when there's so much risk? Yeah, there's reward, but there's risk. Why would we do that? Jesus tells us that there's also hope for the mission. Look with me at John 16, verses 12 through 15. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, 
for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, so it's to our advantage that Jesus has gone away because he's sent the Spirit to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. But there's also a beautiful function that the Spirit has in our lives as believers. Here's what the Spirit of God does. He declares the things that Jesus has spoken to us. He is the Spirit of truth. He reminds us of the identity that we have as sons and daughters of God. He reminds us of the finished work of Christ that's been done for us on our behalf. He reminds us that we're not going to hell anymore. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He reminds us that the old ways that we used to walk in, the old things that we used to do, find no meaning for us in our lives anymore, but he has given us a new purpose to walk in. So he is constantly declaring to us what is true. He is encouraging us. He is rebuking us. He is warning us. And he is preaching the good news of the gospel to us. And because of that, we have ultimate hope. Look with me again at the second half of verse 13. It says, he won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, that word declare literally means to announce glad tidings. There are good things to come for you. Your future is not dark and despairing. Your future is incredibly bright. Your future is beyond your current ability to imagine. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says this, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Okay, I don't know about you. I can imagine some amazing things. And it's fun to talk to a friend or a family member or a fellow believer in Jesus about what heaven is going to be like. One of my favorite things to do, to dream, like, will we get to play golf in heaven? Will there be sports in heaven? Is there competition because there's no sin? I love thinking about those types of things. It's exciting, right, to think about all the possibilities for what heaven will be like. And I can imagine some incredible things that will be in heaven. Like every time I watch the movie Avatar, I'm like, we're of course going to have animals that we can get on their back and fly around. And yes, there will be floating mountains, right? But we can all imagine amazing things. And here's what Paul is saying. The heart of man cannot imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Your heart, like whatever you can think of, it's going to be better than that. 
And you can think of some really cool stuff. These things, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit was given to you to give you ultimate hope. So as Christians, we know deep in our guts that the best is yet to come. That the world and all of its desires are passing away. But he who lives for the kingdom of God abides forever. We know that we're not home yet. And so we look forward to a kingdom where our tears will be wiped away. And everything will be made new again. And so when we are persecuted, when we are rejected, when we are mistreated, whatever form the cost of the mission takes in our own lives, we will be pained by that. We'll be distressed. We'll be depressed. But we will not give up. We'll keep soldiering on. And it's not out of a sense of duty or guilt or trying to appease a judge who's always mad at us, but to please a father who has so graciously sent his son to die for us and then put his spirit in us to give us hope. Now, what do you think about when you think about the ultimate hope that we have? Now, sometimes I think it's really helpful for us to zoom way out And to look at the big picture and to see, as Revelation says, the myriads and myriads of people singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And to have this big picture view like billions of people worshiping Jesus. But sometimes I think it's helpful to just zoom in on one person who we know is already in heaven. And guys, I thought of one person this week a woman who I had the privilege of meeting back in 2011. She went to Cornerstone Church in Ames. Her name was Cheryl Andre. Cheryl Andre had a degenerative disease, and she got it as a young woman, and it was some kind of cyst on her spine that kind of shriveled her body up slowly over time. When her husband found out that she had the disease, he divorced her. It led her to one of the most vibrant relationships with Jesus. Her hope for this life being a satisfying place of purpose left. And her hope for the next life became full. So that if you met Cheryl, she pointed you to King Jesus. She wanted you to know him. She wanted you to find the joy that she had found as her body wasted away her hope grew. And my mom had the privilege of talking to Cheryl just before she died. And she asked Cheryl what she was most looking forward to about heaven. Now, she had been wheelchair bound for years. And she said this, I can't wait to stand And raise my hands and sing to Jesus. So we can picture those myriads and myriads of people singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. 
And one of those people is going to be Cheryl in her new resurrected body that will not be paralyzed anymore. And guys, we'll have eternity to discover the stories of every person in that room. And we will realize that every person has been rescued from Satan's sin and death and has been given a brand new kind of life in that place. And here's what I think we're going to look back and see this reality in this world like as a nightmare. We're going to realize that this, in comparison to that, is unreal. And we've all had that feeling where we've had a nightmare and it feels so real. And we're sweating and our heart's beating hard. And we wake up from that nightmare and we're like, it was just a nightmare. It wasn't real. Oh my goodness. Thank goodness. Do you guys have the repeated nightmare? And you're like, oh man, thank goodness. It was just a nightmare. I'm awake now. We will have that feeling with Jesus forever. And we'll realize that this life and all the pain that we're experiencing in this life has been placed into our life. It's been father filtered by God so that that life, our real life, will be the best that it possibly could be. And the Holy Spirit takes what Jesus has declared to us here. And he, as we walk through our daily life and we get discouraged and we get down, he reminds us. He preaches it to us. He's like our personal hype man who as we're at work or as we're hanging out with our friends or as we're getting another piece of bad news He is telling us this is not the end of the story. Guys, my friend Miranda Robinson is a missionary in Thailand. And I had the privilege of doing a talk on her and her husband's Clint's lives not too long ago. So I interviewed them and was asking them what continues to give them the courage to do hard things, to live on mission for King Jesus How do you keep on going? And this is what Miranda said to me. Christ is worthy of all the people of the earth to worship him. My discomfort is nothing in comparison to his worthiness. The task is not finished yet. There is incompleteness in the story until that day. She says, here's what keeps me going on mission with Jesus. It's the worthiness of Jesus. Guys, what is worthy about Jesus? Do you know that Jesus here is not just telling us that it's going to get bad for us, what it's going to cost us? Jesus is not the commanding officer who's saying, listen, you guys go live on mission, and I'm going to stay back from the front lines so that it doesn't cost me anything. What's worthy about Jesus is that he is about to take the lead in the mission. His disciples have no idea this is coming, but here's what Jesus is about to do. He is moments away from being arrested, 
and being crucified and being mocked by his Sunday school teachers. He is about to be a complete outcast. Why did Jesus die on the cross for us? Yes, to pay for our sin. Yes, to make us right with God. But to show us that even if living for the kingdom of God costs us everything, there is a resurrection coming. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers, which means for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He didn't enjoy the pain of the cross, but for the joy beyond it, he endured it. We can trust that if Jesus took that path, that in following him, the result will be the same for us. And one day we will be saying, it was worth it. The hope that was before me was worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are our good God. That you love us enough to call us out of our apathy to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And you've given us your spirit. You've equipped us to share the good news of the gospel, even the hard parts of it, concerning sin, righteousness, judgment, because we have this great hope that's found in you. And although this world is passing away along with its desires, we know that beyond this life, there is a reality that is all-satisfying, a hope that will never end a forever without regret. And we look to that day as the day that we live for because your spirit is telling us that it is certain that it will come. In Jesus' name.